Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast that explores the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with artists, creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and changemakers. Do you have a life-first business, or do you let your business rule your life? Ashley Gartland is a business coach obsessed with time freedom and space for the things that matter most for herself and her clients. In this conversation, we explore her subtractive life-first approach to business, how to do less but better, and the role of experimentation in making changes. We dive deep into permission, beliefs, assumptions, and the stories we tell ourselves. If you're a business owner struggling with burnout or needing to find a better way to run your business, Ashley's wisdom can help you find a path forward toward success and enough. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 605. You know what, the thing that I, I mean, so many things, honestly, but one of the things that I'm very curious about and has been a through line my whole life is time. And, and in relation to that, especially in this current iteration of my work and life, is I'm super curious about how the decisions we make in our lives and work impact our ability to make time for what's most important to us, you know, make time for our health, make time for our families, make time for our community, you know, the causes, the things that we're really passionate about. I'm so curious how we can, how those decisions we make impact our ability to have time for those things. Wow. Like when, where does this fascination with time begin for you? You know, I, I've kind of tried to figure out why it's my thing. Um, because I know that I see things really differently, um, in business and in parenthood. And I just, I really am constantly looking at time and the trade-offs in a way that I don't see a lot of my peers doing. I don't know. Um, I can't remember exactly when that started, but I have, I I know that I had a parent who worked a lot, didn't have a lot of time. And so I think that there, there's probably something there Mm. that might be, I recognized, how much that parent sacrificed and the trade-offs of that. And so when I became a parent and a business owner, I really wanted to set things up differently to maximize my time for the things, not for more work, but for Mm -hmm. the things that were most important to me, which were really the people who I surround myself with. So if there's something in there, I also just really appreciate white space for leisure and um, learning and connection with people. And so I'm constantly looking at time through those lenses as well. Oh, that's so interesting. And what I love about that too is like time takes on a different meaning when you know what matters to you. Yes, you have to know that first, right? And so yeah. in the work that I do with my clients, even I often ask them to identify what are your priorities outside of work so that it's not so vague and nebulous. Like, so they actually know here are the things that I want to create time and space for. And then we start talking about if you're taking a life first approach to business. What does it look like to put those things first and then design the business around it instead of doing the thing that we've all kind of been taught to do and, you know, that everyone does in America, which is here's work and it takes up all of this big chunk of time and fit all the things that matter to you in the fringes. And I'm always looking at how do we flip that on their head? Probably a little bit, like I said, because of my upbringing and what I experienced as a child. And also just because that's how I want to live. I want to live knowing that I have time to take care of myself and spend time with my daughters and my husband. And and so it has to look different. Mm. I mean, already you're speaking to, I think, the core of what I want this interview to be about. And it's this idea of the, a life-first approach. Because, I mean, I've been at this for 15 years on my own. And... 
I don't have a life first approach. And I know a lot of people don't have a life first approach. They are literally ruled by their business Mm -hmm. and all the ups and downs. So, you know, how did you learn to approach that life first business and how do you let others or how do you coach others to have that life first approach? Yeah. Well, I think I want to first say that when you take the life first approach, um, the ups and downs are still there. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. So there's still, and it, it, you don't feel ruled by your business, but the emotional roller coaster of running a business, you know, and making changes and evolving and growing as an individual and business owner, like that's still going to be there. But mm-hmm. what you can do is you can have a little bit more control and say mm-hmm. a little bit more about what you want your days to look like and what you want to prioritize and what, you know, when you decide this is what I want my business's role to be and here's the lifestyle I want it to help me lead, then you can make decisions about your pricing, your services, your marketing, you know, so many things change when you know what you want it to look like. So I think that's first and foremost for me is I always like to kind of put a little asterisk there that it doesn't taking a life first approach doesn't always look blissful and easy and perfect, but it, (laughs) it does often create a lot more space than people experience now. And then, you know, as far as when I started taking this, I could not have seen this when I was setting my first business up. Um, coaching is my second business. My first business was as a freelance writer and I set it up because I wanted a certain lifestyle, which was to stay on the West coast. I did not want to go work on a magazine. I did not want to on the West or the East coast. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to live in a tiny apartment with 12 girls and make nothing (laughs) and work all hours and have no time left for my passions, my running, reading, like all the things that I love. And so that's really the first time I kind of made that decision to say, I'm going to do what feels like the harder thing and become a freelance writer and, you know, do that grind because I want to be able to control my schedule. I, because I want to decide where I want to live. That was the first time I still, that business, I made that decision, but then that, in that business, I did work a lot. I didn't have a lot of other constraints. I still made time for a lot of other things, but I definitely was a little more ruled by that business than mm-hmm. I have been in my coaching practice. When I started my coaching practice, I was already a mother. And so I had this other really beautiful constraint. Um, and it doesn't have to be motherhood for some of my clients. It's a health um, condition that they want to be really prioritizing and taking care of other clients. It's, you know, they have a side hustle or a passion project that they want to make time for. It doesn't have to be parenthood. But when that entered the picture for me, suddenly I wanted to take an even more life first approach so I could reduce my working hours and, and really live a lot more outside of work. Hmm. Was that difficult to make that shift from having a writing business to a coaching business? In some ways, yes. And in some ways, not. So and there was a, a big, steep learning curve in terms of working in a very, very different space and very different approach to marketing and such. But there's a lot of parallels. One, I wrote in both businesses. I wrote a ton in my freelance business. I write a lot in my coaching practice too, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's communicating with clients or writing email newsletters. So that is a thread that pulls through both of them. And then, you know, the work that I was doing as a freelance writer was finding out people's stories, finding out what was important to them, sharing those stories. And now the work just happens, you know, behind closed doors in coaching sessions, helping people figure out what's most important to them, what they want to be true to them, what success looks like for them, and then making those changes in their business. So again, yes and no, like there's some parallels, but there was also a lot of learning that had to happen in the coaching practice and, you know, certifications to get and, and learning how to coach people that was a a big learning curve and, but it was something that I really wanted to do. So as you've been coaching people, you know, what are some of the obstacles that, that people face when they're wanting to do a life first approach to business? 
Yeah. I can speak to this so strongly because it's always the obstacle that pops up for me too, is I I guess it's two. One is your own ambition. I work with a lot of people who are very creative, high achievers, type A's, like ambition is something they do really well. They got good grades in school. They always turn their work in on time. You know, they get the gold stars. So they're used to excelling. And sometimes the life first approach to business can feel a little bit like settling. And so that's just an adjustment that we have to make in a reframe where we're saying, this isn't you settling. Like you could continue to strive. You could continue to go for the next level. But once you've achieved your definition of enough and success, maybe you want to live a little bit more. So we have to reframe that. So that's one thing. And then the other thing that runs parallel with that is there's a lot of noise from the outside world, from mentors, (laughs) coaches, podcasts, um, just a lot of people saying, you should do more. You should grow to the million dollar mark. You could do more with this business. You should get bigger. Um, And just constantly talking about growing your metrics and adding more marketing channels. And it's not that those things are wrong at all, but for somebody who really wants a life first approach of business, you have to learn to evaluate when the things that other people are telling you to do are in your best interest and when they're not. So powerful what you just said too, because I think that drive to do more is just, I mean, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. It is. I remember it slowly in my, it happened a little bit in my freelance writing career, but it was the days pre Instagram. Like there just wasn't as much out there. The mm. podcasting was barely a thing. <laughs> so there just wasn't as much noise, but there was certainly still a lot of comparison that you could make. And like, I need to do these additional things and I need to get in these bigger publications. But when I started coaching, that was when I really noticed a lot of outside influence. You know, you'd go to masterminds or you'd go, you know, listen to podcast interviews or pop on Instagram and everywhere it was here's a new marketing channel. You need to master this in addition to all the things you're doing. And if you've hit six figures, you should be striving for seven. And I just didn't see a lot of voices saying, well, what if that's not what you want? Then what do you do? Yeah. I mean, what a what an amazing question that we could spend hours just discussing and talking about. <laughs> Is this where the idea of sub, uh, having a subtractive approach to business comes from? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I I worked in this space for so long as a coach and I, you know, talked a lot about how I help people define their own definition of success and build the business to match and how it helped them do less better and you know, talked a lot about my approach. And one day someone I was chatting with said it really feels like you take a subtractive approach to business. And I was like, I, I do. I've never called it that before. Um, but so grateful for the terminology that she coined there because it really is what I'm helping people do. We so often look at all the things they're doing in their business. And in order to get them more time back and more space for those things that are important to them, we're asking, what can we subtract? Not what can we do more of, which is what most business coaches are looking to help their clients do, but what can we actually take away and so that you can focus on the most meaningful stuff in your business and then free up space. So, you know, I I often use examples here because I think it's helpful for context. A lot of times my clients will come to me and they'll have a lot of services, you know, a a lot of different things, you know, services that they're, they're doing, or they're doing a lot of different things. And we ask the question, like, what's draining? What's energizing to you? Like, let let some of these things go and run a little experiment and see how the business looks like without them. Like I had a client who was an interior designer and was like, it is just so draining for me to do giant projects or so draining for me to do bathroom projects. And I said, well, what if you just let that service go and focused on the things that you love? And so she tried that and business did great. Like her revenue actually went up. It would have just been great for her if it maintained, but it actually went up and she was able to do more work that she enjoyed. It was more fulfilling for her and her team. Like 
looked so much better the moment she subtracted that. And I see that a lot with people with services and I see it a lot with people with marketing too. People who come to me and say, I was told I need to do these 12 different things for marketing. I need to grow my list. I need to be on Instagram. I need to start TikTok. I need to start a podcast. And for a one person show, that is a lot of things to do. Even if you have a team, that's a lot of things to do. And so we're asking what's useful, what's benefiting your business, what's fun for you. And let's keep those things and even refine them to make them more streamlined and simple for you to do. But the other stuff, like it's about giving yourself permission to let some of those marketing approaches go. And again, you can run it as an experiment. If that feels too scary, you can say, I'm just going to pause on this for three months and see if it changes anything in my business. And if it doesn't, then you really have a great answer of you could subtract that thing, free up your time and have a leaner business and, and more fun too, less pressure. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> well, it's, it is easy for me to see it in other people's yeah. businesses. It's much harder for me to see it in my own. And I think, you know, our own, we get so entangled in things and we get so accustomed to doing things a certain way, mm-hmm. you know, so I recently have been rethinking some different things for marketing for me. It took me a long time. It took me a couple of months to really think through and say, am I ready to let this thing go? Or these mm-hmm. couple of things that I've been experimenting with. And I had to get rid of a lot of assumptions that my business had to have those things in order to mm-hmm. be successful and to serve my clients and audience in the way that I wanted to. And again, I use that word experiments because that's what helped me. It's like I could see a, lightly that these things needed some either adjustments or maybe mm-hmm. to be paused and let go. But it was much easier for me to make it not a permanent decision to start to say, I'm going to pause on my podcast and mm-hmm. evaluate in three months whether I think I'm going to bring it back or not versus saying, cold turkey, I'm just going to not do it right now. That's easier. And I find that that's true for my clients too. So if this subtractive approach sounds hard, I really invite people to look at it that way. Like yep. I'm going to take something away. I can always bring it back, but I want to see what it's like without it. I want to see how much lighter things feel and see what my business looks like without it. And if it works, then you're in a really good place. And if it doesn't, you can bring it back. It is amazing too, when you do pause something it does give you the freedom and flexibility to expand and see what fills that space Mm -hmm. in ways that you couldn't expect before. Yeah. And I think when we're in our own industry kind of silo, we tend to see what other people in our industry are doing. And that's where those assumptions come from, right? Like every coach I know has a podcast and I'm a journalist and I love podcasts and I love creating it. But I probably started it in some re- half of me did it probably because it was an assumption that I had to have one as a business mm-hmm. coach. So reevaluating that has been a really great season for me to kind of experiment with and see. And you're right, other things have filled it that have been super fulfilling for me mm-hmm. and really fun. How do you handle and how do you help others handle the sunk cost bias? Mm, that they've put so much time into something. Time and money, yeah. Yeah, yeah time and money. And and letting it go feels like failure a little bit, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so I think it's really important to help them see that they have choice there mm-hmm. that, and, and help them explore those paths, right? So paint the picture of, let's say someone's thinking about letting go of a service. They might say, well, I spent so much time on the sales page for this thing, or I've spent so much time on training to get me ready to provide this type of service. And so we can experiment with, if you stay that path, are you going to enjoy this work or is it going to continue to feel draining for you? What's the trade-off of continuing to do this work in terms of the other things that you could be doing with your time and the other things you could be selling and offering? So experimenting with that and then showing them the other path of if you chose this other path and let this thing go, even though, yes, you've put in a lot of time and energy into it, recognizing that that can be true and you can still choose this other path of 
creating a leaner business and letting that service go. And then imagining what would that look like? You know, what would your days look like and your weeks look like if you were just focusing on these other things and letting this thing go? That really helps people, you know, to kind of paint the pictures of here's your choices and to acknowledge that, yes, it is extremely hard to let go of something that you've put a lot of time and energy into. Yeah. Well, and I think too, I know for myself, I hold on so tight to certain things and maybe it's identity, maybe it's time and energy and, and the dreams of my youth versus the dreams of, you know, my mid forties, as opposed to what my life will be in the future. But it's like, I, I just hold on so tightly that sometimes that experimental approach while freeing is so difficult to just loosen that grip. It is. And I think a lot of it is about giving ourselves permission to evolve. You know, I remember there was probably about four years between my two businesses, between ending writing and starting coaching, that I was really just trying to hold on to. I've built this career as a freelance writer. I now have everything that I wanted from it. I'm getting the good gigs. I have name recognition. Like there were certainly some challenges that I was facing and reasons I was thinking about letting it go and leaving and doing something different. But it was really hard because that was, you're right, Chris, that was my identity. Like people knew me as a freelance food writer and cookbook author. And like, that is my, my friends, my family, my peers, colleagues, like that's what everyone knew me as. And to your point, I had put in a four-year university degree to learn how to be a writer. I had put in internships and time learning the skill and the craft and time learning um, to network with people and build relationships and to just walk away from all of that is incredibly scary, which is why I think it took me four years. <laughs> yeah. But again, it was the trade-offs. It was like when I, you know, I left that career when I was approaching 30. So if I was to say to myself, when I'm approaching 40, is this what I want to be doing? And is this what I want my business and life to look like? And my answer was no. And even though I didn't know exactly what the other thing was, I could start to imagine that. And that doesn't what I, I'm not saying that everyone has to do a, a huge pivot from one industry to the next, but sometimes it's about recognizing that if the way your business is set up right now isn't working for you, then an alternative way could be better for you in the future and kind of yeah. projecting, it doesn't have to be 10 years, one year, five years into the future and saying, do I still want it to look like this? That can really invite you to start to explore other options. So in 2018, I actually pivoted to something else. And then it wasn't the best decision. So I started getting more work again and then pivoted back to my business. And like, what's interesting is like, now as I'm kind of in a space where I'm opening up to the possibilities of something new, I have that past kind of experience saying, well, it didn't work then. Why do you think it would work now? Yeah powerful stories that you're telling yourself, right? Like, I think that's, yeah. that's why when you said what is hard about the work that I do and the stories we tell ourselves <laughs> is yeah. you know, the beliefs and the assumptions that we have. And so it's really about questioning, like, just because it didn't work last time, right? is that a hundred percent true that it's not going to work again? And also even questioning, did it not work last time? Or did you learn something from that experiment? Right. Yeah. And, and I, I'm not sure that I did, mm-hmm. but I'm also... <laughs> It's also a much different time now than it was then um, in terms of just society and the way life has unfolded the last two years. And Mm -hmm. and I'm a different person now than I was then. Yes. And I've evolved. Mm -hmm. You have evolved. Like everyone, I think that's just the piece, like I was saying that earlier about the 
recognizing that we're allowed to evolve. Mm -hmm. And so if the first iteration of your business isn't serving you anymore, then create a new iteration or, or move in a different direction for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like who's to say that it couldn't become just a, a, a really good side hustle and then something else fills my days. It comes back to that identity piece of how can I let that identity piece go to free myself up to something else? Yeah. And to recognize that sometimes we can set our businesses up in a way that we can be very multi-passionate, right? So when I'm helping my clients figure out how they can work less, like I had one client who said, you know, I'm really interested in launching a second business. Like, so Mm -hmm. if we can get this first business really lean and I can run it in, you know, 15, 20 hours a week, I would have time to explore and see if I do want to do something different or if I want to run that second business also in very few hours a week and have two things going because I'm multi-passionate. It it can look like that. I think it's beautiful to look at your business and ask, what else can it provide me with besides, you know, financial resources and work? Mm -hmm. Like, can it also be designed in a way that frees up your time and if that's to explore these other passions, that's a fantastic thing for your business to do for you. Yeah. Well, you just kind of blew my mind there with thinking about multi-passionate, multi-hyphenate, multi-potentialite, however you want to frame <laughs> frame people that like multiple things. I like this idea of subtracting from one business, but then creating something separate to create some boundaries around what it is or and is not. Yeah. I, I find it really hard as someone who has multiple interests, not necessarily in business. I have one business, but I have a lot of outside personal interests that I like mm-hmm. to give space to. It would be hard to manage all of those things if all of them are very complicated, but okay. having a lean, simple business and the, it just, it creates a lot of brain space and time for the other things. And then the other things can be complicated if they need to. And if you're somebody who is multi-passionate, or like you said, there's many different terms for that, then look at how you can make your core business really simple so you can then go and experiment with some of these other things or you know, not even experiment with, choose them and have it work really well. Wow. What I love about this too is it it's, I mean, business is serious. Let, let's be real. Like it, it is a serious thing, but you're also painting the opportunity for there to be fun within business. Yeah. I think it is, it is extremely serious and, you know, it should be in some ways, right? Like it is all, right. you know, we're taking care of clients where it's our livelihoods, but you're right that it can also be fun. And so when a client comes to me and they say, I really am not loving my business right now. I'm facing burnout. I'm facing overwhelm. I feel like this is just the cost of being a business owner. And I I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep doing this. So maybe I should just quit. I like to look at like, what's this gray area in the middle where you can rethink, rework, redesign your business so that you can keep doing work that you really enjoy, but in a way that is fun and lighter and less draining for you. And again, that frees up your time. It, you just make different decisions. And sometimes the decision is to not grow, but just maintain your business. And sometimes the decision is to let some pieces of it go, let some of the marketing things that drain you go. It's different for everybody, which is why I work with people one-on-one and not in a program. (laughs) Right. But there's always opportunities to see how you can make your business better for you. And it's not always going to be the blueprint or step-by-step suggestions that you're hearing from people in your industry. Sometimes it's about borrowing from other industries or disciplines and coming up with really different ways of doing things. And that can really, again, like you're saying, it can create the fun. It can bring that fun back into it and just make things feel a lot lighter. Yeah. 
Ooh, I love that. Because one of the things that I love to do is bring, when I'm working with a client around like how to promote something, I, I always bring like the the viewpoint of trailers and you know how, how they do a teaser, they'll do a full trailer and then leading up to the movie. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I would say when we get stuck in our industries and we're, we're often surrounded by peers, whether it's, you know, we are surrounded by people who do exactly what we do or we're, Mm -hmm. you know, working in the online space or we're surrounded by all creatives, it can begin to feel like an echo chamber where everyone's saying the same thing. If you can disrupt that a little bit and get someone who can say, Hey, over here in this industry, they're doing things this way. What would it look like to bring that into yours? Just like you're saying with the trailer, like if everyone's marketing looks the same, what if you approached it a little bit more like a trailer? Would that be fun for you and different for you? There's a lot of opportunities, but you have to be, you know, the one thing you have to be willing to do is to be open to rethinking your assumptions and redesigning your business. And to your point earlier, that sometimes means letting go of things that you've put time and energy into. Mm-hmm. But letting those go, if that creates space for what you really want and a business that is lighter and more fun to run, then I think it's a win-win. Yeah, for sure. You, you just said something to rethinking your assumptions. Like mm-hmm. what's, what's a good first step to doing that? Figuring out what your assumptions are, right? Like, and (laughs) like, it's so, um, so I'll use myself as an example. Like, when I went to get my coach training, they had a very specific way that you should set up your services. They're like, here's what you should do. You should do this for a year. And then after that, you should move to the group model. And then after that, you should have a community. Like, it was here, here's literally your recipe for success. Mm -hmm. And here's what you can expect to make at each of these landmarks and everything. And so I I bought it. I was like, great, I'll do that. I'll start with one-on-one and then I'll do the group. And I never got to the third stage of running a community because when I was doing the groups, I'm like, I don't really like this. I don't enjoy the group. And so I was able to see that my assumption was that if I wanted to be successful as a coach, I needed to follow the frameworks that this program was telling me I needed to do. But instead I was like, well, what if I didn't? What if I Mm -hmm. found out that I don't like group coaching? And I would prefer one-on-one. Then what are my opportunities there to run a different business? Or if I choose to just stay with one-on-one, what's the harm in that, in choosing that path instead of choosing to scale rapidly into this membership model that I wouldn't have enjoyed? So I really like... I really had to rethink some assumptions there about success and what Mm -hmm. a successful coaching practice looked like and what good services looked like and what it meant to choose one-on-one versus something bigger. It was a process for sure. And something that kind of makes you feel a little alienated when everyone else is doing the other way. But when you really get grounded in in those, you know, you rethink those assumptions and then you think, I think I'm going to do this instead. If that supports what you really want, which is why it's so clear to, so important to be clear on your definition of success, then it's a win. So when you're defining what success is, when you're defining what enough is, is that where it becomes defining a better than big business? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people go into business and they don't take the time to say what it is that they really want or need to make and really figure out what do I, how much do I want to work? How many people do I actually want to work with? They don't look at their capacity. It's just, there's questions that we don't ask ourselves. We most often just go into business and start running and trying to like get things going. And at some point, most people need to slow down and then they start to ask themselves these questions. So I've had so many clients where I asked them at the beginning of a coaching partnership, like, what do you want to make? Like, what, Mm. what does success look like for you in terms of the financial impact of your business? And I've had so many clients who are like, I don't really know. I haven't ever thought about that. 
And so they're chasing another person's definition of success, which has them working way more than they need to when they really get grounded in what they want. So I do ask my clients to figure out what's your enough goal for revenue. And And I look at that as not just like what's the bottom of the barrel, but like what's going to allow you to live a really rich, fulfilling life financially. Let's figure out that number and make sure the business is designed to match. And then I also ask them to set a time freedom goal and really define how they want to work. Like, are we setting your business up to work in 20 hours a week? So you can have the other 20 quote unquote working hours for other things. Are we trying to get you a week off every month or every Friday off? I ask them to also think about that because that's another important definition part of the definition of success of really understanding how much do you want to work and what kind of lifestyle do you want to leave outside of business? So I have them thinking about those two things. And within that conversation, this third kind of pillar is the capacity question. If they're working with clients one-on-one, especially, um, or in other ways, we want to really figure out like what's the volume they want their business to do. And most of my clients end up doing fewer clients and bigger things with those clients than serving lots and lots of people. It just tends to fit that kind of bit better than big business model a little better. When you say revenue, when you say time freedom, that makes sense. But we don't, I don't think we really think about volume nearly enough. Mm -mm. And we overestimate it. Like I so remember at the very beginning of my coaching practice, sitting down with my partner and being like, you know, I think I could serve like 25 clients in a month. Like I was like, look at my, I'm like, even not working full time. I'm like, look at the calendar. I can plug these people in here. I can do these sessions here. And this is going to look great. And it looked really good (laughs) on paper, but I don't have the capacity to hold space for 25 people to do deep immersive work on their business every month. And so now I serve more like eight to 10 clients a month. And, you know, I work with them over a long period of time. And so, um, I I do deeper work with fewer people and that serves me so much better. But at the beginning, in part, because I was building my business based on other people's definition of success. And in part, because I was just looking at the calendar and being like, this is so easy. Look at these hours. They're available. I'm going to fill them. (laughs) I just, I wasn't accounting for the, the mental lift too, of working with people. And you can love your clients and you can still need to limit your capacity there. I I took some coach training programs uh, about a year ago and like, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying about that model of like looking at your calendar and being like, I've got this time and everything's going to work perfectly. It's going to unfold exactly how I see it on the calendar. And then you do like a few sessions and you're like, oh. Yeah. And it's not just coaches, right? Or consultants. Right. It can be any creative. Like yeah. I remember same same trajectory happened in my writing career where at the beginning I served lots and lots of clients and I did lots mm-hmm. of different things and it just kept getting narrower and narrower to fewer clients, bigger things. And mm-hmm. that really, really was helpful in my writing career and in, in making things simpler. But I see it with lots of my clients, you know, people who are creatives and they're, you know, they're designers, they do branding, they do websites, they do copywriting. Like the assumption is I can serve lots and lots of people, but then when they get in there and start doing the projects and the projects scope creep happens and stuff, then all of a sudden they've got too much going on. Mm -hmm. So we just are continually looking at where are those opportunities to make things simpler for them. Ashley, one of the things that I'm thinking a lot about right now, obviously, you know, with snow falling on the ground in April on the West Coast, I mean, that's abnormal. I can't help but think about the seasons. How do you approach business from this seasons-based approach so that, you know, the the summertime might look different than the wintertime? Yeah. And 
even outside of like the weather and the traditional seasons, like the seasons of your life, right? Like how does my business look different now that my daughters are in full-time school versus what it looked like when I had toddlers at home? And Mm -hmm. how does it look like in a season where I want to do more personal growth and, you know, work more on myself than I do working with other people? Like it can also be that. So for me, it's about doing those check-ins and Mm -hmm. recognizing that just like I'm allowed to evolve as a person, like my business is also allowed to evolve. And so I think for me, it's about checking in and asking, you know, is the way the business is set up right now serving me in this season of my life, serving me, serving my clients, serving my family? Like, is it working? And if it's not, then it's inviting to do a little bit differently. Like in the middle of the pandemic, I certainly made some different choices because of that season of my life looked different than what I'm doing now as we're coming out of the pandemic and, you know, different decisions pre-pandemic. And there's just so, there's so many, you can look at seasons as a parent, seasons as a person, like, and you're, like you said, seasons in the traditional sense where (laughs) you might really want to do a lot more work in December, January, February, like where it's, it is darker and there's not as much to do and you might work a lot lighter in the summer. And I know other people who love a lot of downtime in the winter and Mm -hmm. flourish in the summer and want to do a lot more work. So, you know, we talked about, um, that time freedom goal that my clients sent. Sometimes it is like a two or three month time off that they want. And so we're designing their business to free up complete space in different seasons and work more in other seasons. So long way of answering your question. It's just about the check-ins and Mm -hmm. saying, you know, what season am I in currently? And is there anything I need to rethink or rework in my business to support me in this current season or to prepare me for the season to come? That's a really interesting approach. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, just allowing change to occur. Um, for the people that hold on so tightly to everything, <laughs> whether it's identity, whether it's you know what the business is, I think I love this idea of seasons-based approach. Saying this is where I'm at in my life, this is where my business is at, and it's so powerful to be honest with yourself. Yeah, and I am someone who does not like change, and I'm someone who is not the most flexible person with this, mm-hmm. and so you know I was things have forced my hand with this, like the pandemic, my partner has a very different lifestyle. Um, He's a first responder. So he has a very different schedule. And so I've had to learn how to flex things around these other priorities in my life. And I've learned that those things require those check-ins. And that's why I've invited myself at least once a year, but more often like twice a year or every quarter to just say, Hey, is there anything I need to shift here for this coming season? And again, like we were talking before, yeah. You can always let something go and bring it back in another season. It, it works like that. It's not going to go away completely and you're not going to go stagnant. Like you're allowed to pause on some things to free up time in different seasons. Yeah. Cause that's the fear. That's the fear that if you pause, you're like, you're going to lose it, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And it might take a little time to build up, but it's there still. Underlying this all, there is that sense of fear though. That the fear that if I make this change, the fear that if I do this, this is going to happen. What are what are a few ways that you help people work through the fear? Definitely by inviting them to take baby steps. Because I, uh, and this just might be more my approach as a person, like I don't like the rip the bandaid off approach with anything. <laughs> but I find exactly. that the baby steps are really, really helpful in addressing that fear because it allows them to feel safe, right? So going back to some of the examples we've talked about, like taking a baby step with letting go of some services 
like instead of we might identify that you've got seven services and three of them really aren't serving you, but going cold turkey and getting rid of all of them at once is going to feel really scary to a business owner. Mm-hmm. But letting go of part of a service or letting go of one of those three, that's a nice baby step for them because they still have a lot of stability in the business. So we want to look at where do they have some stability so they can see that I'm safe here, everything's still going to be okay. And where can I take a baby step that is something I know I need to do, but it's a little bit scary. I like that. I'm not much of a rip the bandaid off uh, person either, even though there are some ways that I do do that. So um, the baby step approach is great, but then there's that other part of me that's like, but that's not going to help. You you need a lot bigger approach here. You need to take massive leaps, not baby steps. Right. <laughs> so I guess it just goes back to taming the voices in your head that that tell you the opposite of what you know you need to do. And recognizing, like you said, sometimes you can take a rip the bandaid off approach. And if a client <laughs> is ready for that and they're telling me that that's what they want to do, then we will do that. I like to make sure they have some sort of stability in some way in their yeah. business so that it doesn't totally burn them. But you can do that approach if that's what you are telling yourself you need and you can trust that it's the right thing in the same way that you can take the baby step approach and recognize that that's enough for now, right? You Mm -hmm. don't have to make all of the changes. You can say, I'm doing this little change for now and I'm going to do this little change next month and this little change next month. And over time, those are certainly going to compound to get you to that place where the business feels a lot simpler. So interesting. I, I love the approach that you're coming at this with. And I just appreciate the way that you've illuminated so many ways to allow change to occur in ways that are manageable. Mm-hmm. It's, I, that's totally how I approach things because like I said, I don't like change. So when I'm helping people through changes, I really like to do it in a gentle way. And so I have clients that I've worked with you know, for a year, year and a half, and we have baby stepped it through their business, making little change after little change. And it keeps creating space and more breathing room. And when they can see that that works, then they're much more willing to trust the next step. Well, Ashley, as we wrap up our time together, what's one thing you want listeners to take away from our conversation today? Mm -hmm. I think I want to invite them to consider the things that are in their business that are overwhelming to them or are draining them. And ask if there's any assumptions that they're holding on to about those things, whether it's an assumption about the way their work needs to look or how many hours they have to work or how much they have to make or how many people they have to serve to be successful. Like, Look at those things and just kind of put them all out in front of you and and just look for one. Again, let's not look at trying to change everything because that's overwhelming, but look at one thing that you're making an assumption about and ask if there's an opportunity for you to do differently. Well, final question for you. What book, podcast, or resource is currently blowing your mind right now? Mm, I knew you were going to ask this question. I have a hard time coming up with one, so I'm going to say three if that's okay. Perfect. Um, So I don't subscribe to a lot of newsletters. I prefer to do my my reading in books, Um, Mm -hmm. but there are two that I really love. I love James Clear's newsletter. I think Mm -hmm. it, it always has something and it often has something about time or related to time and habits that I love. And then I also love Tara McMullen's newsletters. They're Hers are much more meaty, long essays about business, but she and I share some similar approaches and, you know, she just really encourages people to rethink what's necessary in their business. And I love that. So I love those two newsletters. And then I also just read Adam Grant's book, Think Again. And while it's not about business at all, it's really about rethinking uh, assumptions in life and getting people to figuring out how to be persuasive and get other people to rethink things. 
I found that there was a lot of interesting parallels between that and business. And it's a fantastic read. Excellent. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for being a guest on Getting Work to Work. It's been a pleasure to learn more about your work and your business. And I hope people who need to discover what's next for their business will reach out to you and and uh, and really find a way to move forward with you. Yeah, please do. I'm always happy to connect and please reach out personally. Like sometimes I think people think they can't email guests of podcasts. Like please do. If you heard something on this, you have a question about, reach out and let me know. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ashley. There were so many things that she mentioned that just resonated with me. I know she mentioned this, but if you need someone to talk to, please feel free to reach out to her. Let her know that you heard her episode of Getting Work to Work and would really like to explore more about how you can have a subtractive life first approach to your business. It's something that I'm definitely looking into for myself, what that means, what is enough, what is success, all of the big questions that Ashley brought up in this episode. You can visit her website at ashleygartland.com, or you can find the link to her website in the show notes page at gwtw.co slash 605. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.